podcast one production. A few weeks ago, Lockie, who's six, who's at kindergarten now, and he's my compliant, you know, really good number one son. And he was just fluffing around. I'm trying to get four kids out the door and we had to get to school on time. And I sent him down to the garage to put his shoes and socks on and get in the car. And I come down and he's on his scooter barefoot. And as I walk in, he bashes the scooter into the car. And I just yelled. I just like lost it at him. And he just crumbled and burst into tears. And instantly the rage disappeared and I was overcome with a wash of shame and guilt. But then I get angry. But I'm actually angry at myself again because I'm like, what have you just done? You've just (laughs) unpacked all your emotional baggage onto your poor son. And yeah, he went to school completely red-cheeked and red-eyed and with tears on his face. Yay, mum. (laughs) This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. And in this episode, I want to find out what it is about parenting that brings on such large emotions, like feeling overwhelmed or just so angry. I was relieved to find out that there are actual clinics dedicated to this exact issue. Amanda Donnett is a clinical psychologist and founder of Spilt Milk Psychology, a clinic specifically designed for parents who are struggling with the challenges of parenthood. She's all too familiar with these emotions and has some brilliant strategies for managing and reducing big, strong emotions. And these are emotions in the parents, I might add. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for coming in today. No problem. Thanks for having me. So I had this epiphany the other night and it's related to the topic that we're talking about today, these strong emotions like rage and overwhelmment. But I was watching the Disney movie Moana with my kids. It was a Sunday night and the, you know three of them are draped all over me and it was after a particularly tough weekend. And it's towards the end of the movie where you know Moana and Maui are fighting the lava monster and Moana clambers up the rocks. She's got the heart that she's going to return to Te Fiti and she sees, oh, Te Fiti's not there. And, you know, the beautiful goddess Te Fiti, where is she gone? She turns around and she suddenly has this revelation that Te Fiti is actually the love monster. And I'm sitting here at this moment in the movie and tears just start falling down my face. and I, I'm I cry just, every time I watch it. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then she sings this beautiful song where she says, you know, I've crossed the horizon to find you. She says, I know who you are. Oh my God, I'm getting emotional saying this now. And I just thought, I'm the lava monster. This is, this is what's happened. I've, I've lost myself in this parenthood game this weekend and it's not me. I've lost myself and I don't want my children to to be living with a lava monster and I felt so ashamed and, and out of control and, and guilty. Can you tell me I'm not alone? <laughs> You're absolutely not alone. I'm going to tear up with you because I'm a terrible sympathetic crier. <sighs> like how common is this feeling of rage and overwhelmment that you, you see with your clients? So I work as in private practice as a psychologist. So I'm seeing mums who are struggling. And amongst those mums, I think that anger is probably one of the most stigmatised, but most common symptoms that we feel. And when I talk to any new mum, I think that every mum has experienced this to some degree. But it is one of those symptoms that 
people under-report. Um, one of the questionnaires that we use when we're looking at assessing um, functioning in, in parents is we ask them, you know, how often do you feel agitated or irritated or frustrated? And I think it's such an under-representation of the severity of that emotion um, because we still don't even really ask about it. But I think if we pull back the covers and look underneath, this is something that lots of mums experience. And I know that whenever I have this conversation with any mum and we're talking about these big emotions, their heads are nodding like the little dashboard dog because it's it's such a common experience. I think it's a universal one, to be honest. Yeah, definitely mums and dads as well. Yes, yes dads too. So when we feel this bubbling up rage and the lava monster inside, what's actually happening in our brain and our body? There's a couple of things that happen when we look at how our brain works and how we feel and experience emotions. So within our brain, the front part of our brain is where we do a lot of our thinking. It's our thinking higher order brain. It's the part that can travel into the future, that can go back into the past. It's the part that can problem solve. It's the part that can contextualize. Um, and it's all thinking in that front part of our brain. Right down in the heart of our brain, in the middle of our brain, we have our limbic system. Our limbic system is the emotional center of our brain. Uh, it doesn't do as much thinking, but it does a whole lot of feeling. And so when we are experiencing really strong emotions, what happens is we sort of shift from that thinking, um, really functional part of our brain that can do that, that can talk you down, that can problem solve, that can put things into context and say, yes, I have a problem, but it's only a small problem, is we slip from that into being all feeling. And it means that we lose that ability and we simplify and everything becomes black and white. We catastrophize, we personalize and we globalize. We make problems really big because all of our resources go into this emotional center of our brain. And that part of our brain is really important because it's there to help us survive. Uh, it's out that fight or flight um, centre of our brain. It's there to detect danger and to keep us safe. And all it wants for us is to be alive. And I think that's really important to remember sometimes is that that threat system, that danger system is there to keep you alive, but it does not give a crap if you are happy because it's not its job all its job is to keep you safe. And so when we're feeling vulnerable, when we're feeling threatened, we'll go into that all feeling space and that ability to think about how other people are feeling, to imagine what it's going to be like in the future. All that stuff goes offline. And so we start acting just based on how we're feeling. And is that why when a seemingly little thing like a child ignoring you which, you know, your frontal cortex can process that so simply. But if you've got these deep emotions where you're feeling ignored, you've been feeling ignored as a child, you are, that, that leads to, you know, your limbic system telling you you're unloved, you're not wanted. That's why a seemingly little incident can just bring up this absolute volcano of emotions? Yeah, I think the other thing is is, is um, that threat system. It's kind of like a little internal thermometer. So if we think of it as being like a one to 10, it's never a zero, it's never off. But if we think of it as being a one to 10, when everything's going really well in our life and we have well rested, we've had plenty to eat, we're in a nice kind of cruisy, calm environment, the floor of that system will be right down really low. 
But when you haven't had all those lovely things going on in your environment is the floor of that system starts to turn up, that thermometer starts to rise. And if your floor is at an eight, there's no such thing as a two. There's no such thing as a little problem. And so it's really easy then to get from there into that state of overwhelm of a 10. And I don't know about you, but I certainly think like the world is just so much easier after a good night's sleep. And that's why, you know, we didn't choose our brains. We didn't design them. They've evolved over millions and millions of years and they've evolved to allow us to connect to our our babies. And we have these tricky brains that are hijacked by strong emotions. And so that's not our fault. We don't get to choose that or, and we find ourselves here with these brains. But because the time of early parenting is a time of strong emotions and we want it to be because we want it to be times of great joy and great connection and great love, but we don't get to choose which emotions we feel. And so if we try and shut some down, you know, all the emotions are big. Um, so I think it's the very fact that we love our children so much is why we can feel so much rage when we're dealing with them. It's Interesting you say that because I was lamenting to a dad at kindy drop-off. This was a while ago and I I was lamenting about a similar weekend that I'd had and a, a tough one and I'd shouted at the kids. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. He goes, you know, shouting at your children is actually a sign. It shows them how much you love them. And I just thought that can't be right. <laughs> so, so I certainly wouldn't encourage or endorse like that we want to be raging at our kids and that they'll feel that in a loving way because it's certainly, you know, I don't feel very loved when someone's yelling at me. Um, but at the same time, I think it is recognising that it's a part of that same picture and it's a part of that emotional experience. And, you know, all feelings are valid and um, we can't, we can't police our emotions. We don't want to police our emotions. What we need to police is our behaviour. How damaging is it for kids to witness uncontrollable emotions, you know, be it rage, be it a a parent crying? I think in some ways, you know, your friend was right in that it's okay for our kids to see that we have feelings. And in fact, families where there's really um, suppressed emotions, where our emotions are really held in and reined in all of the time, is that's not a healthy environment for our kids to be in either. But the key is around we don't want our kids to be seeing unmediated, unfiltered emotions that we should be regulating or attempting to regulate our emotions. At the same time, it's really helpful for our kids to actually see that we are human, that we drop our bundles sometimes, that we mess things up because it gives them permission to do the same. And it's a really valuable lesson for our children. Our children don't learn how to be calm by never being angry. They learn how to be calm by seeing how you calm yourself by seeing that you too get angry and this is what you do and this is how you put things right. We don't learn how to be human by never breaking. We learn how to be human by recognising all things break and we just have to figure out how to put them back together. Well, on that note, if you have had an outburst of some sort, what are your views on going back and apologising, particularly, you know, if you're validated for doing this because you've asked them 10 times to do something and they haven't done it and then you crack it and you shout at them, uh, should we be going back and apologising later on or does that just confuse them? I think this is where we need to come back to good communication skills and practicing and learning and rehearsing that. And it's hard because we only know what we've seen. And this is why it's so important and helpful for our kids um, to see that. So when we apologise, we need to learn how to apologise well. Um, There's a couple of ways that that I kind of think of apologies, of teaching apologies in a stepped, you know, we... The speeches we remember are the ones that we've rehearsed, the stuff that we've kind of practised. So I always think of a good apology should sort of have four steps. The first one needing to be, I'm sorry, (laughs) 
I'm sorry for, it happened because this is what I need and this is how I'm going to meet that need. So if we can talk to our kids about that, you know, I'm sorry for yelling. It happened because I was really overwhelmed. It's this is where we need to be careful and be non-blaming. It's not it happened because you were naughty. Oh, I was just thinking that in my head. That was angry. It happened because you were being a little yeah. shit. So it didn't happen because they were being a little shit. It happened because you felt unheard, right? Oh, that is so much more powerful. Yeah. Cause it's, and that's where we need to come back to, this is what I needed. So I'm sorry that I yelled. I felt unheard. And when we feel unheard, we raise our voice. This is what I need from you to hear. And this is what I need for you to do. And this is what I need to do. Next time when I'm feeling unheard, I need to get your attention better. I need to <laughs> slow things down, you know, settle the situation, figure out what do I need to do to be able to meet my own needs and what do I need for them to do to stop that from happening again. One thing you've really tapped into there is trying to find that personal vulnerability uh, instead of that blaming, you're, that whole I'm feeling unheard. I think it can be a hard emotion to dig down deep into your heart and find a vulnerability as opposed to a defensive emotion such as you know wanting to blame someone or make it their fault takes a little bit of practice yeah for sure because I think that's one of those things with um with rage and when you said before about you know why do we rage is often it's because we're taking a much more difficult emotion and we're pushing it down anger is a really easy emotion to feel and when there's a much more painful emotion, what we tend to do is a little bit, I don't know, have you ever played with a beach ball in the pool? Yeah. And you know, if you take a ball and you push it underwater mm-hmm. and you can hold it down and the surface of the pool looks really smooth and calm and nothing's happening. Um, what happens after a while if you're holding a ball underwater? It, well, it ends up just popping back up. It flies up and it hits you in the face Yeah, <laughs> in a really uncontrolled way, like those big hard emotions that if we can push it down, we push it down and you can do that for a while, but eventually it's tiring, it's exhausting. And so it flies up and it hits us in the face. So one of the ways that we can stop those emotions having so much power is instead of those hard emotions, you know, if we don't push them down, it means we have to leave it on the surface. You have to let it sit on the pool and it means you have to see it. Um, and that can be really hard. But if you've ever put a beach ball on the surface of the pool, it doesn't fly up and hit you in the face. And so it means we have to learn to be able to see those hard emotions, but it takes courage. I think one of um, my nine-year-old, one of his favourite sayings, because that's what happens when you have a mum who's a psychologist, is you have sayings like this, uh, is anger is a bodyguard. Anger protects us. So it's having to, when we're answering those questions, is what is it protecting me from? Or what is it trying to protect? Yeah, and that comes back to those really beautiful, deep vulnerabilities that we have probably been pushing under the surface and protecting with these big emotions. It's funny, again, getting back to the beach ball analogy, it doesn't just hit you in the face, it often hits your husband or your partner or your kids in the face. I know when I felt that rage before, I thought, I can't put this on my children. So who's the next best in line to unleash the rage on? And uh, I can remember I can remember uh, Charlotte, my five-year-old daughter, who was sitting there with her toast and having a massive meltdown because it was cut into squares instead of triangles. And 
I was just having one of those terrible mornings. And of course, I directed that rage straight to my husband, Tim. Don't you know that she likes the triangles and not the squares? What were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> How can we help to curb these emotions or not to push them back under, but to deal with them? What are your strategies? Well, I think that you showed a really great insight when you told that story right at the top about Moana and what it is that makes us tear up about that scene is that the most powerful thing for combating feelings of rage and feelings of anger is feeling seen, uh, is validation. You know, when you said, I know who you are. What's the line from Moana? Yeah, I I, um, I see you. This is not who you are. I know Mm. who you are. I won't sing. And I crossed the oceans to find you. Yeah. And so I think it's one of those things is what helps us so much is just feeling seen. Um, So, and that's one of the hardest things to do is to get that ball and bring it up to the surface and say, I have to see you. I have to know what's here. Um, But how powerful it is in calm. And you see it with kids, how powerful it is to calm them as well is um, Dan Siegel, who's a very famous psychologist, talks about the idea of name it to tame it that if we name our emotions, it helps us. So like, you know, I'm feeling really overwhelmed and it has to be though getting past the bodyguard. So I'm not angry. I'm not at just, how are you feeling? Angry, angry, angry. How else are you feeling? What else is there? I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling inadequate. Uh, I'm feeling unheard. Um, I'm feeling unimportant. Um, I'm feeling useless, you know, <laughs> that so many of these feelings that can come, especially, you know, if you've had, I know for myself, you know, I was, um, before I had my eldest son, I was working, I was actually working three part-time jobs and feeling very capable and competent in my abilities. And um, I was used to being someone who was a high achiever. I was used to being able to go, if I do ABC, XYZ will happen. Um, and suddenly you have this little baby who you do ABC and goodness knows what's going to happen. And so I felt so out of control. I felt so lost, so incapable. And so having to tap into those emotions and go, I know, I know this is hard. I can see that you're having a hard time uh, and I will cross the oceans to find you. I will not, I will be here with you. Because that's the other powerful thing in that scene with Moana, right? Is that when she sees that emotion, she walks towards it. Is this self-talk that you're referring to now? Is this what you are saying to yourself? Yeah, probably the easiest way for me to explain it is to give a little example of my own. Uh, So as I said, I've got three young boys who are, they're roughly two years apart, a little bit more than two years between the eldest and the second. Um, But I remember a time a few years ago now where, um, I don't know, I think I was um, delirious with lack of sleep because my youngest was only about eight weeks old. So I had an eight-week-old, a two-year-old and a just four-year-old. And I decided um, to take them shopping and we went on an adventure and it was oh, about four weeks before Christmas, maybe maybe not even that. And I took them to Carindale. So I don't know if you know, it's a huge big shopping centre in Brisbane. And I thought, oh, it's going to be a nightmare parking because it's getting close to Christmas. So the solution I came up with was I'll take the bus and, <laughs> and oh, it's really hard getting a pram on the bus. So um I'll just won't take the pram. I'll just, the two-year-old can walk. He'll be fine. I'm amazing. So I had the tiny little baby in a carrier on my front, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And all we had to do was go to two or three little shops and then come home. And I thought it'll be an adventure. It'll be great. So we went out and we had a lovely morning and we did what we needed to do. And the buses between my house and and the shopping centre only leave once an hour. 
So we were racing around and I looked at the time and I thought, right, we'll be fine. I've just got one more thing to pick up and then we can head for the bus interchange. And I hadn't allowed enough time for the fact that there would be a huge queue at the checkout because I only needed one thing, but I still had to line up behind 30 people. So time was ticking away, ticking away, ticking away. And I eventually got out and I looked at the time and I thought, we're we're not going to get this bus, we have to hurry. So I'm running through the shopping centre with a four-year-old and a two-year-old in tow and the little one on my chest and I can, we're heading for that bus. And um, the two-year-old come like, come on, big steps, big steps, big steps, big steps. And just as I got to the top of the stairs where I could see the interchange, I saw the bus come and I knew that oh, I'd missed it. Oh, you poor thing. I hate that feeling. And I s- just you know, spat at my two-year-old, you know, we've missed the bus. And, of course, um, he was really impressed by that. And so he heard the frustration in my voice and his little legs went out and he threw himself onto the ground and started to just holler, just scream and kick and shout and rage. Um, And he was expressing all the rage I was feeling in that moment. I looked at him sitting there just screaming and fortunately, and I'm not saying that this always happens to me, but this is an example of a time when I did kick in some self-compassion and and I I looked at him and I saw him sitting there and I said to him, I picked him up and dragged him to the side of the corridor with still with a baby on I my was chest. Gonna, I had this image of you <laughs> bending down with the baby carrier. Yeah, I know we've know, all done it, haven't we? Trying to where pick you up have two to ch- kind of <laughs> hold them on the side of you so that their legs are <laughs> kicking away from you. Yes, and the baby. And I pointed the four-year-old, luckily there was a toy shop, and I pointed him at the Lego display in the window. So he was remarkable. I think he was in shock. He was just kind of standing yeah. there. The baby was somehow asleep, but the two-year-old just raged and raged. And I looked at him and I sat there with him and I said, you are so tired. You you really wanted to be on that bus and you have done such a good job today. You know, we've had a wonderful time and this has made you really sad that it all just fell apart right now and you wanted to go home because you're tired and you're ready for a nap and you've had enough. And he sat there and he started to sobbing quietened a little bit and he's kept crying and I said, you know, I'm really proud of you and you can cry, you can be sad for as long as you want and when you're ready, we're going to wait for the bus and we can talk about how everything's gone so wonderfully today and all the wonderful things that we've done. We can talk about the great things that we've seen and how proud I am of you and when we get home, we can have some lunch and you can have a rest and we'll all feel better and everything will be just great. And this lady walking past came over to me and she said, the way that you're talking to him is just so beautiful. And I looked up at her with tears in my eyes. <laughs> and you can hear, it still makes me emotional now. And I just looked, I said, I'm not talking to him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I really, I wasn't. I was talking to me. It was that, you know, you're tired. It's been a long day. <laughs> you really need a rest. Because the only, I knew, I knew from my training and from my background and from just my life that the only way that I could, be kind to him in that moment is by taking a great big breath of that in for myself first. So this idea is, am I right in saying you take a moment to yourself and you actually talk to yourself in those nurturing words as you would in a loving way to your own child? Yeah. So there's a Kristen Neff, who is the founder of Mindful Self-Compassion. She talks about her framework. I I boil it down to there being like a little recipe for self-compassion. It really has three key steps. And the first one is mindfulness. It's actually noticing. 
you know, that mindfulness has really got a bit of a buzzword and people think it's this really kind of like meditation and sitting around for a long time. But to be mindful really means to just drop back into the present moment. Practicing mindfulness in the first step of self-compassion is to just notice what's going on, feeling it within your own body. You know, how am I feeling? What do I, what is going on for me? Um, Because you can't heal a wound that you don't know you have. So from there, so the first step is noticing, noticing what's going on. Um, The second step is self-kindness, offering yourself warmth and understanding. So that's that actually seeing and attending to your own needs. And that can be both in terms of your body. So if you're racing around and your heart's pumping and your head's pounding, taking some deep breaths and actually giving your body what it needs. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I get really hangry. And um, sometimes just that checking in that the kindness I need to offer myself is a cookie, is a is a drink of water, um, is a nutritious lunch that's not the crust off my kids' sandwiches. This is a healthy podcast, so why don't we go with a nutritious lunch or a handful of nuts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's it too, because sometimes we do grab the cookie and that's not really listening to what we need, um, that what we need is to say, no, you deserve more than the cookie, sit down and have something proper to eat. And, and not, I remember that as when, again, when my boys were little, how easy it would be to eat the crusts off my kids' sandwiches for yeah, lunch and yeah. then wonder why I'm hungry. Uh, so, so, that self, so the second step is that self-kindness, actually meeting your own needs, figuring out what it is that you need. And then the third step, um, which is a really powerful step as well, is acknowledging our common humanity. So recognising that the reason why you struggle is because you are a human and humans struggle. And also that everyone and anyone who was in the same situation that you were in would be struggling too. Because one of the things that feeds um, feeds rage and feeds overwhelm is that feeling like no one else feels how I feel and I'm there's something wrong with me for feeling this way. There's a mum that might be sitting here listening to this right now, carrying some immense guilt around a historical event, maybe incredibly hurtful words or actions what would you say to the mums sitting there feeling that, carrying that shame or that guilt around with them right now, me included? <laughs> I think it is that. It's one of the great ironies um, is that when we try and, like one of the things that feeds this, as I said, is shame. Shame is the biggest thing that feeds overwhelm because it's the thing that makes it push it down, right? What kind of mother would think these things about their children? What kind of person would behave this way towards their child? So we need to recognise that. The way that we experience anger is not our fault, but what we do is we get to choose how we understand and how we respond to our emotions, and that's where our responsibility lies. So we can absolutely find that middle ground between saying, okay, that was a bad thing, but I'm not a bad person. I'm a good mum who messed up. And we can, it's not about letting yourself off the hook and saying, oh, you know, they deserved it. It was fine. It's fine for me to scream at them because, um, and you know, you can see this sometimes um, in a way of trying to alleviate that guilt. What we do is we make light of behaviour that we know is not okay. So we don't need to do that, but we can let ourselves off the hook, not by saying what I did was fine, but sometimes I do stuff where I'm not my best self because that's not who I am. And that's why it hurts is because it's not who I am so that we can take responsibility for the behaviour while letting go of some of that guilt and shame and saying, I can make a commitment to not doing it again and apologising well. When should a mum or a dad seek help for this? Like, is there a dangerous frequency or, or some warning bells? 
from a professional point of view, when we're looking at when does it go from being, you know, the normal experience of mixed strong emotions that come with early parenting versus, okay, this anger, this overwhelm may be a sign that there's something more serious going on, is we do look at... um, I sort of talk about that idea of what's the diff. There's a difference between regular kind of just struggling a bit versus something more. Is So the diff stands for D is duration. How long are these feelings lasting for? The I is intensity. How intense are these feelings? We all get frustrated. We all get cranky. But how long does it take for you to pull yourself together after that moment? Is it, I'm, you know, I drop the rope and I just can't pick it back up? Um, or is it, I had a moment of overwhelm and then I pulled myself back together? So that's another thing that we'd be looking at. Frequency is the first F in diff. So duration, intensity, frequency. So how often is this happening? Yes, I'm snapping at my children, but it was at the end of a long, busy weekend where we'd had a lot going on versus I'm doing this more than I would think is appropriate. So maybe every day, um, and it's been going on for sort of more than two weeks. Um, You know, this isn't a moment in time. This is a pattern of behaviour. And then the last one is functioning. And so when we talk about functioning in in psychology, what we're talking about is it's changing how you live. You know, if you're saying this is now becoming um, other people are concerned about me um, or I'm concerned about me, I wouldn't want other people to see how I'm behaving because I think they would think, you know, that sense of feeling like this is something different, um, then that those are the signs that it's time to sort of reach out and get a hand. What about some preemptive strategies that a mum can do to help set herself up for success and not be in those situations? You mentioned not being hangry, for example, before I'm assuming getting a good night's sleep, if you possibly can, is another one. Yeah. So it's lots of those. We, we think about self-care as being these luxury type things, but self-care is not optional. It's compulsory. It's necessary. Um, there's this idea of, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And that's not just like a, a sweet saying to stick on a poster in your bedroom. Um, that's an actually a neurobiological necessity is that when we aren't taking care of our own needs, it dials up our sympathetic nervous system, which means that we're more prone to get easily overwhelmed. So these feelings of irritation and agitation are almost like the fuel light on your little emotional fuel tank. So I can get in my car and I can drive at 100 Ks. I can drive at 1,000 Ks as long as I have fuel in the tank. And with kids, you clock up a lot of Ks. So you need to do a lot of refueling. And I don't know about you, but when I had small children, when you have that massive to-do list and you think I can't get through all of this, the stuff we start crossing off is the things that pour in, um, that fill us up. And then we wonder why we run out of fuel, but it's kind of like saying, I've got too far to drive today. I don't have time to put fuel in the tank. And you often, it's hard to connect the two. Like when I'm in a moment of rage, I'm not thinking, oh, I have an exercise for three days. I slept badly last night. I've made poor food choices and I haven't been asking for help. So my to-do list is, you know, you... you, And I haven't seen another adult human being for a week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's talk about, just to wrap up, Uh, practical strategies, because this is what you do for a living. I love that there is a clinic that is dedicated to this exact (laughs) topic. Um, When your mums come in or your parents come in, tell me the practical, in the heat of the moment, you can feel the lava monster coming up inside you. What are the sort of one, two, three, what do I do? 
because it's going to happen this weekend. I just know it. (laughs) Well, the big thing is actually recognising. It's kind of like saying, how do I get fuel in the tank when my car has stalled? So some of this is around you are so much better off doing the prevention. It is the getting the sleep, making sure you're eating, um, planning so that you aren't overwhelmed in the first place so that you've got more fuel on board to be able to cope. Um, So prevention is obviously the best thing that we want to do. Second one there is take a breath, take a beat, give yourself a moment. When you feel yourself bristle, take that little step back because no baby, no child has ever been harmed because their parents stopped and took a moment. And it is that then it can be anchoring, you know, really taking that moment to just anchor into, if I was to act right now, how do I want to act? Do I want to base my actions on how I'm feeling in this moment or do I want to anchor into the kind of parent that I want to be? And so it's that thing of going, I can be really angry at my husband because he's done something that's really, really annoyed me. Like cut the squares. Cut the sandwich the wrong way. And I can want to scream at him. But if I can stop and anchor in to go, I don't want to be the kind of partner who calls her husband names. I don't want to be the kind of mother who blames her children and who who scares them. I don't want to be a scary mum. So even though I'm really angry, can I anchor into something more than how I'm feeling in this moment? which might be, you know, the kind of parent that I want to be, the kind of memories I want my kids to have. Can I stop and just ground myself? And we can, that's where, again, practicing skills like mindfulness, and you can't practice that in the moment. It's like trying to learn to be a tennis player on the courts. You've got to do the practicing between the games, not when you're on court. So having those skills in your toolkit will really help. But in the moment, take a breath, take a moment. And if your options are between fight or flight, you know, when we do flip out, we flip our lid and we are in that ragey moment. If you need to fight or flight, flight every time, walk away. As I said, no one gets hurt because someone walks away. People get hurt because we don't walk away. So if you need to, and you can't get it all together is just step back, get your kids somewhere safe, get you somewhere safe and know that that's not you failing. Let go of the shame, let go of the guilt. That is not you failing. That is you doing what you need to do in that moment to be the kind of parent that you want to be. If you have a partner at that time, I know when I've had moments like that before, Tim, my husband, has naturally stepped in and he's he's like, Meals, I've got this. You just yeah. go. And yeah. My husband and I call it tagging out. I say, I need to tag out. Tag, you're in. And that means this is not optional <laughs> at that point. Oh, Amanda. You have just made me feel so much better. Thank you for your wonderful insights today. You are more than welcome. This is something I'm really, really passionate about because I think it's one of those areas with still so much stigma. Uh, You know, sad mums get sympathy and um, anxious mums we almost like normalise and praise. You know, you're meant to be worried for your babies, but angry mums are still seen as bad mums and crazy mums. It's scary, dangerous mums. And the reality is that all of those mums are every mum. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes all those feelings in one day. All those feelings in one minute. (laughs) I know, I know. Oh, thanks, Amanda. Gosh, I've enjoyed our chat today. Yeah, me too, Amelia. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.